0: to open up your Bibles, that encourage you to do so. We're going to be in our scripture reading, which is Philippians chapter 4, so kind of toward the end of the Bible. If you didn't bring one, take the one out in front of you. Um, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Ha ha ha. We could all use a little more peace somewhere in our world, couldn't we? That's why we're here. It's why a sermon series like the title of the one we're in the middle of, Be Still, I think is appealing to us on so many levels. And so I want to ask you a question. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done to find peace and quiet? What's the craziest thing you've ever done? Just just think about your answer for a second. I asked, I asked Alyssa this question back uh, a number of years ago. We just had our first two boys, and they were little, and she had just transitioned to being uh, a full-time stay-at-home parent. And she told me, she said, I have more than once locked myself in the bathroom and just sat on the floor, hoping that the kids wouldn't find me. Uh, my answer to the question back then, our boys... So one of the benefits, we have five children, one of the benefits to having multiple children is that the younger children tend to bother their older siblings before they bother mom and dad in the morning, okay? And so when our boys were little, and it was just the two of them, we had this rule where they couldn't wake up in the morning until someone, mom or dad, Had woken up first. And so, what would happen every morning, inevitably, is they would peek their head out the door of the shared bedroom that they had just down the hall from us. And it was like Groundhog Day, you know? They'd like peek around and see if they could see any signs of life. They'd go back in their room. But of course, they were little, right? And they're antsy. And so, it could be a morning where we could be sleeping in, but for them, they get up at the same time. And soon they can't take it anymore. And so, they would leave their room and they would. tiptoe down the hall into our bedroom and they would come right to the edge of our bed and it's always my side of the room because my side of the bed is the closest to the door and what they would do is they would come up and and they would tiptoe up to the side of the bed and they would look for signs of life within the bed and 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 the reason let me tell you the reason I know this this is the crazy thing I would do for peace is because I was awake (laughs) But I was not ready to wake up yet. And so I would close my eyes and they would look. And if they did not see any life, because I'm very, very still, eventually they would whisper to each other, which was never a whisper. And they would say, is he awake yet? No. And of course, I'm awake at this point. And if that didn't work to get me to move, then they would start to poke me. And if that didn't work, the pokes would go from my side to my face until eventually I would move and open my eyes and they would pretend like nothing had happened and they would look at me and they would say, Daddy, are you awake? And I would realize in that moment that any moment of peace that I was going to have that day had been passed because the kids are awake, I am awake, and it's... Over, I asked this this question on Facebook once, what's the craziest thing that you've ever done for some peace and quiet? I got like 50 different answers to the question and most of them were from parents. And they were referring to when their kids were little, their grandkids were little, or maybe it was in the middle of it right now. And most of the answers were the same. It was escape. It was to get out some way. I had one mom share that when her kids were really little, her husband traveled during the week, and she stayed home with them. And they were one and four, and they were really crazy, and they had a crazy dog. And the husband came home on Friday afternoon. She took the car keys from him. She handed him both kids and the dog. She said, "I'm leaving. I don't know when I'm coming back. And she said, you know what I did? I went to the Dollar Movie Theater right down the road. I bought a ticket. I sat in the back row of a movie, and I watched it play multiple times until the movie theater closed. I just sat in the silence. And I get it. I totally get it. I think we've all done some crazy Things, parenting or other other seasons in our life, where we'd be willing to do some pretty crazy things if the promise of peace came with our actions. And I think it's because it's a God-given desire to be at peace. And that's really what this whole series is. Has been about. Today is the third Sunday in this series we're calling Be Still, and we're focusing on what actually is a pretty common call throughout the Bible to be still. We started in Psalm 46.10. Why don't you read this with me? This is such a well-known verse, it'd be a good sentence to memorize. Be still and know that I am God. How many of you heard that verse before this series? Show of hands. We've all heard this before, but what we learned in that first week is that stillness and peace go hand in hand. And we learned in Psalm 46, we actually learned the second week, which was last week too, when Jesus and the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, and there was this storm, and Jesus stilled the storm. What we learned is that the concept of stillness is this idea that we cannot create for ourselves. We cannot be still if it's up to us. It's futile. It doesn't work. Psalm 46.10 is not written to us. It's not God telling us to be still. It's God telling everything around us that isn't still to be still. And so as I look back on this, I think if I were to preach through this series again, I'd probably change the title, and it would be Be Stilled Up, right? Because that's what we need. We need God to still us. And I, I think this idea of stillness coming from outside of ourselves is instinctive. I think it's why so many of us look to find peace outside of ourselves, whether we're leaving to go to the back of a movie theater or sitting on the floor in the bathroom or closing our eyes when our kids are awake in their bedroom, going on vacation, secluding ourselves into nature, we, we, we try to leave our situation in order to find the stillness that only God can give us. And those are great things to do. Most of them are, are not a problem in and of themselves, but they don't really solve the stillness problem that God wants to solve for us. If you're hiding in a movie theater, eventually you're going to have to go back home to your crazy kids and your crazy dog. If you go on vacation, eventually you're going to have to return back to your real life and your real house and your real job and your real room-service-less world. We can't find stillness by leaving. We can't muster it on our own strength. And I was thinking about that being really the message from the last two Sundays, and I thought, that's pretty depressing. (laughs) Because all we've really talked about so far is what we can't do, right? So so the question today that we're going to ask is, what can we do? Like, what is within our power and our strength? If God is the one that brings stillness and peace, and if we can't leave to find it, and if we can't cultivate it on our own, then how can then what can we do? And what the Apostle Paul is going to teach us here in our reading today is that we can cultivate its presence by making some tangible steps in the direction of of God. Now, if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. He traveled far and wide to share the good news of Jesus with the world, and this landed him in some pretty difficult situations, including the one that he finds himself in as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which is modern-day Greece. He wrote it while he was imprisoned in Rome. And if you read through the short letter, what you'll find is that in this instance, Paul doesn't even know if he's going to survive his imprisonment. He might die in this situation. And so I look at this and I think, man, if there was ever an instance where there was a person who needed some peace, where there was a person who needed some serious stillness, it's the Apostle Paul. And it's out of that place that he writes these words. Let's look at verse 4 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And in the Greek, the word rejoice means to rejoice exceedingly. Which means if you're paying attention, this should sound absolutely crazy. Because who would rejoice in the situation that the Apostle Paul has found himself in? He's imprisoned. In addition to that, he's lost his earthly possessions. He's lost his security. He's lost his position in his religion. He's lost most of his friends. His body has been physically beaten and broken. He doesn't know how much longer he's going to live. And yet he's the one saying, rejoice. And the Lord always, I will say it again, Rejoice. And it reminded me of a, of a time a number of years ago, we did a series where we went through Philippians as a county and we had a whole bunch of churches doing it at the same time and, and the pastors would meet every week and we were talking about this passage and one of the pastors we met with together, he said, you know, we usually get so caught up in our feelings that we let our feelings dictate our actions right I mean we're, we all do that if, if we don't think about it that's that's how we live but he said what happens here what the apostle Paul is teaching us is that sometimes we're called not to feel our way into how we act but we're actually called to act our way into how we feel we act first and for the apostle Paul that makes sense because see in his situation rejoicing has got to be a choice It can't possibly be the way that he's feeling. His circumstances are dire. And so he's rejoicing by choice because he's rejoicing in the one that can overcome the circumstances that he's facing, which is God. He's living out the words of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And and, and check this out in Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now Paul isn't crazy here as he says to rejoice. He's not rejoicing in his circumstances. He's rejoicing in the hope that he is not alone In his circumstances. That God will save him. And that fact and that hope brings him joy. And it's a joy that doesn't just impact him. But it also impacts the people around him. Which is why the next verse goes like this in Philippians chapter 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So if we add them together, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If you missed last week, our passage was Mark chapter 4. I mentioned it before. It was Jesus and the disciples out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. There was this huge storm that came and threatened their lives. It threatened to sink their boats. And the story is remarkable for a number of reasons. First of which, that Jesus slept through it, right? And and, and they woke Jesus up and they asked Jesus, Do you care if we drown?" And we talked about how the fact is that, that of course, he cares. And we see that he cares because he gets up and he looks at the storm and he says, Quiet, be still. And then after he stills the storm, he asks the disciples a question. He says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it reminds us that when life is hard, when we hit storms in life... When when life is is difficult, I lost my I lost my notes. <laughs> it's one of, one of the blessings here of using technology, and also sometimes one of the challenges here. Let me find where I was here. I love that. Lowell is is referring to the clip that I showed just a minute ago. Maybe I can throw my technology down and, and show how it's making me anxious. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, when life is hard, like when your iPad goes on the fritz, for example, (laughs) when life is hard, when we're afraid and we don't have any faith, not only does it impact ourselves, but it impacts the people around us. When we're operating out of fear instead of out of faith, what happens is we walk around in a constant state of fight or flight. And so Jesus, when he's calling the disciples out in the middle of this storm that he's called calming into, and he calls them to have faith in the midst of the storm, it's not just for themselves, but it's because he wants them to go into the world and be a calming presence in the storms of the lives of others. And that's what Paul is getting at later on when he writes to the church in Philippi, let your gentleness Be evident to all. Because if the Lord is truly near, then not only does that free us up to give up our fears, but it also lets us give up what we do when we are afraid. And that is often we put pressure on others to meet the needs that only God. Can meet And where I get this from is that word gentleness in Philippians 4 can really be translated more like gentle forbearance. It's a word in the Greek that would be used to describe God or a king in their gentle patience and mercy with others. And I think about that and I think, how often do we lose our joy? How often do we get stressed out because we're too busy, disappointed in other people? Because they haven't fixed the storms in our life the way we expected them to. Or we feel anxious because we're disappointed in ourselves. Because we haven't done more to do what only God can do. Paul says that people that rejoice in the Lord look different that they look different, that they have put their trust in God. And when you put your trust in God, it frees you not to have unhealthy, unrealistic expectations on yourself or other people, but it frees you to let go of those expectations and love the people around you. But in order to trust God with whatever it is you're facing, you've got to be able to give it to him first, right? And that leads us to some very practical verses. Maybe the most practical passage that we're going to read so far yet in the midst of this series. Paul's verses in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. He tells us to rejoice. He says that the gentleness that you possess and you share with the world should be evident to all because Jesus is near. The Lord is close. And then verse 6 he says, So do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what do we have here? Pray. Petition. The word petition could be used or translated as supplication. It's to plea and to scream to God. But what do we normally do? When we're in a situation that causes us anxiety, we scream, but we usually scream at the storm, don't we? Stop it, right? We're sick and tired of it. We look out at it. Or we plead to ourselves and we scream internally. And both of those things leave us feeling anxious because, I don't know about you, but the last time I screamed at the rain and I told it to stop, it didn't stop. (laughs) And the last time I screamed at myself, that seemed to not really help either. And the reason why is because We're not God. We can't control the storms in our life. We are not in possession of what it takes to bring the stillness that we desperately need. And so Paul tells us in those moments of anxiety, take that same energy. That same difficulty, that same anger, that same lack of peace and direct it to God. Pray, petition, scream, direct it to the only one that can actually do something about it. And then he says to do all of it with thanksgiving, which is interesting. Because if you're praying out of an anxious place in your life in the middle of a storm and you are praying with supplication, you're screaming out to God, thanksgiving is the last thing that you're going to want to do because it's the last thing that you feel. But Paul knows that by being thankful, you will find the peace of God. And if you don't believe me, next time you're anxious about something, try it. Just stop. If you get a text message or a phone call or there's something going on in your life and it's just everything's crazy and you're feeling anxious, just pause and take just just a couple of minutes, close your eyes, and pick five things that you're thankful for right now and thank God for those things. Close your eyes and say, well, thank you, God, that I'm alive. (laughs) Thank you, God, that, that today I have a place to live. Thank you that... That, that, that you have provided for my needs. Thank you that, that, that I have this person in my life. Thank you that you are close to me. Thank you that I get to, to pray that you are not a distant God. Thank you for the roses. Thank you for the trees, whatever it is. If you pause and you thank God for the things that only God can get credit for, you will find peace begin to be produced by the presence of God in that moment that you're living in right now. Last time I preached on this passage, I was looking back, Alyssa was suffering from complications. She had gotten Lyme disease. I know some of you have experienced this as well, and it was a very severe case, and um, still has complications even today that she's living with from that, but at that particular time, We're reading this passage, and we didn't know what to do. More days were bad than good, and it was leading us to this place where where we were literally, I mean, we were spending lots of money. We were driving out to doctors in other states. We just didn't know what to do. And I remember reading these words in the midst of that season, and I remember praying these words, and I remember thanking God for the things that we had To be thankful for. That we had doctors to travel to. That we had a car that could take us there. That we had health insurance. That we had family and friends and a supportive church. That we had good days. Even if there were not as many of them as we would like to have. We thanked God for the days that were there. And when we did those things. What God says through the Apostle Paul. Is that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And that is important because when you're going through anxious times, you need your heart to be guarded. And, and that's what this produces. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. The promise of God is that his presence in our hearts... His presence of peace will flow out of us and protect us from within. Today is Pentecost, right? Today is the birthday of the church. Today is the moment where Christians all around the world are celebrating the reality that 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers in Acts chapter 2. And in that moment, the promise of God's presence came true, a presence that brings Peace, a presence that brings stillness, a presence that we all want. We all want to be stilled. We all want to experience. Stillness. We want to experience the stillness that only God can bring. And while God is the one who does the stilling, Paul tells us that there is a lot of things that we can do to cultivate it, to invite it in, and that is to direct our anxious thoughts in prayer. To be anxious is to focus our time and our energy and our strength and our thoughts and our words on God. Instead of directing them to ourselves, I, was, I found on the, uh, in the footnote of the NIV study Bible this week, I thought this was really good. Right underneath this verse, uh, the, the commentators put this, Anxiety and prayer are two great opposing forces in the Christian experience. Every day we have to decide which way we're going to go with the things that we cannot control. And I point that out because I know that reading verses like this, especially out of context, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, you could read that verse and go, well, then I must be a bad Christian because I'm anxious about everything. (laughs) And I want to point out the reality that the reason that Paul says not to be anxious is because he knows that you're going to be anxious. (laughs) And so he tells us not to be anxious, and then he gives us something to do, Instead, he knows we need an alternative. The alternative is prayer. Because we can't calm the storms in our life. We need God to calm the storms. And the joy that comes from our faith is the joy that we find when we know that he will. That he is in the boat. That he is near. And of course, every time we read passages like this, and I give a sermon like this, somebody will say to me, they'll say, well, that sounds all great and motivational, but... But what tangible good does this do in situations that are so very hard? What tangible good does prayer and thankfulness and rejoicing actually do? Can it change anything? And my question there, my, my question to that question is always, what is being anxious doing, <laughs> right? Does that help any of these situations? Does being anxious change anything either? Especially when we're in the face of things that we cannot change, that we cannot run away from, that we can't hop in a plane and escape. The things in our life that rob us of the stillness of God are often the things that we cannot run away from. And so what does Paul tell us to do? He tells us rejoice in the Lord always. Because unlike the circumstances around us that will change, God is never changing. And so rejoice in Him. And then out of that rejoicing, be gentle with others. Pray, cry out to God, and be thankful. Reminds me of a book I read years and years ago. I've shared this story many times. You've been around St. John's for a while. You've heard it. It's by um, an author named Shane Shane Claiborne. um, And it's in his book, Irresistible Revolution. He tells this story about a summer that he spent uh, serving with the ministry of Mother Teresa. And uh, he was in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, and he said that when visitors would come there to serve in the community, she would require all of them to spend the same amount of time in prayer no matter how much time they had to serve on the streets. And those that would come, especially Americans, would come to do stuff. And if they were only there for a day or two, they would always question, why are we wasting so much time in prayer when we could be out on the streets doing things and serving others? And Mother Teresa would respond and say, because you've been called here to do God's work. You've been called to do God's work, and that requires you to hear God's voice. And if you don't pause before you do anything and listen to God's voice in the quiet of prayer, how do you expect to hear it on the busy streets of Calcutta? And I think about that story as I think about the busyness of our own streets and the world that we're living in right now. The world can feel stormy and loud. And so the promise of the Apostle Paul is that if we want to find peace and allow God to still the places that need stillness the most, it begins with what we do right here, right now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God That transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so let's do that together right now. Lord Jesus, as we sit in the still silence, The silence, for me, I will say, doesn't so much bring stillness to my life. More often than not, when I am seated in the stillness, it reveals the things in my life that are not still. As we come before you and as we pray, the things that often come to the surface are the things that we have been anxious about, the things that we've shoved in another place in our minds, the things that we've tried to still with our words. And so right now, God, we bring before you the storms in our life that are leaving us anxious, and we let anxiety go and we pick up prayer instead. Anxiety and prayer are the two great opposing forces in the Christian experience. God, would you help us in this moment as we are in the presence of fellow believers and reminded in the Christian tradition that you are a God who is here that Jesus himself said that there would be a greater one coming, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, because you would not be confined only in the body of a man, but that your spirit would come and dwell in all who believe and call upon your name, which means us right here, right now, in this place. That we are not alone in guarding our hearts out of which our entire life flows, but that your Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, guarding us and giving us peace. And so help us to set this time aside. Help us to be thankful for the many blessings that we have to thank you for. And as we set our hearts and minds on you, may the peace of God that transcends our limited understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.